everybody and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthasor. And welcome to the Sunflower Showdown Scouting Report, which is one of the bigger Sunflower Showdowns in terms of stakes in uh, quite some time, regardless of how the Big 12 rulings are going to go. Uh, that's outside of the scope of this podcast. Just know that uh, no matter what the outcome is, if it doesn't benefit K-State, we will be very sad. And by sad, I mean very angry. But that is not what we're here to cover. We're here to give you the scouting report for KU. So we're just going to go ahead and dive straight into last year's stats. Last year, they were a 6-7 team with a 3-6 and conference record. Ended up losing the Liberty Bowl to Arkansas uh, off of a very funny last play. They ended up rushing for 2,386 rushing yards last year, 5.4 per attempt with 29 rushing touchdowns, passed for 3,307 passing yards, 8.9 per attempt, with a completion percentage of 65.2, 32 passing touchdowns to 8 picks, a third down conversion percentage of 50.6, a red zone touchdown percentage of 74.2, only 12 sacks allowed, averaging 35.62 points per game and 463 total points for. So, prolific offense, no matter who was under center last year. And weirdly balanced as well, given you know their propensity for everything, basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they ran a prolific offense last year. I... You know, I'm obviously biased, but even I admit that it was probably one of the most entertaining, if not one of the best, offenses in the country last year. Yeah, they were super, super good um, in pretty much every facet uh, of the game. Uh, And I think you also said it well that uh, they were really effective whoever was a quarterback. It was really just a matter of uh, what team they were facing week in, week out, and if they could keep up with them. Yeah. So you have the defensive stats. Yeah. So speaking of keeping up with other teams, uh, they gave up 35.46 points per game, which is a total of 461 points against them. Uh, they had 3,382 passing yards and 21 passing touchdowns against them. Then 2,720 rushing yards against them with a whopping 37 rushing touchdowns allowed. Uh, and then in the red zone... Uh, they allowed touchdowns 63.1% of the time. They had 12 interceptions to 8 fumbles. They had 24 sacks as a unit. And then they had a turnover differential of plus 3. So this defense was uh, porous. porous, I think you could say. And uh, they the only major area they weren't awful in was red zone touchdown percentage and even then that's just kind of a fine number uh it's not elite or anything like that and being positive in turnover differential is never a bad thing either but uh, they gave up a ton of points uh last year which is maybe the main reason that they finished below 500 and that they were really only able to beat the bad teams that they faced uh was just because they just really really struggled to keep people out of the red zone and out of scoring position yeah and a lot of that was also they gave up a lot of explosive plays last year as well they've sort of cut down on those this year but yeah the the red zone percentage is you can tell by the amount of points they gave up that's not the entire story but in terms of what they're bringing back uh, basically everything (laughs) 
Uh, they brought back Jason Bean and at the beginning of the season, Jalen Daniels. They're the same person. Go watch the Andy Katelniki video. Uh, it's not the first time we will be plugging that video. Uh, brought back Devin Neal as well as just about every single one of their major receivers. Luke Grimm, Mason Fairchild, Quentin Skinner, uh, Lawrence Arnold, Jared Casey because Andy Katelniki likes to flex. Kenny Logan, a safety, is their best player last year. Probably still is their best player just in general. Uh, maybe Devin Neal is pushing their title now. But Kobe Bryant, outside corner, they added Logan Brown, uh, the tackle transfer from Wisconsin because he was kicked off the team. And then Mikey Polly, the quarterback from Nebraska, former Kansas kid, uh, decided to transfer to KU. We won't be seeing him. I just thought it was interesting to note that he was there. Now, uh, Connor, you have the very daunting task and. You know, it's a very daunting task to uh, to just recount all their losses from last year. Really, the only player they lose was uh, Lonnie Phelps, who led the team in sacks last year. He was an undrafted free agent to the Cleveland Browns. That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. That's all they really lost. So they're returning a lot from last year, and just uh, Connor, you want to take a look at their schedule? Yeah, they um, start on a four-game win streak this year beating Missouri State by a lot. They beat a pretty bad Illinois team. They eked out a victory against another pretty bad team in Nevada. And then they held serve at home against BYU, who's who's also pretty bad, actually, now <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Uh, but then they lost um, at Texas uh, by, uh, looks like 26. 26. Uh, they beat UCF at home by a wide margin. And then they lost Oklahoma State on the road by a touchdown. And then they won a short two-game win streak with their upset win over OU by five. And then they beat Iowa State by seven. And they just lost to Texas Tech at home last week uh, by three. So it's been a bit of an up-and-down season. They've beat most of the teams that they should beat. Uh, the exceptions, I guess, would be they probably should have beat Texas Tech, and they didn't. And then they beat Oklahoma when they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. So it really all evens out in the end. Uh, but that that's pretty much what it's been so far this year. So they're they're at a pretty good spot right now. Yeah, I mean they're sitting at seven and three with a three and three conference record. It's the um, it's the numbers that really sort of matter here. They have nineteen hundred ninety rushing yards. Uh, that's an error. They do not have twenty two hundred yards per attempt, uh, but they do have twenty two hundred sixty passing yards at nine point zero four per attempt. 15 passing touchdowns to 6 picks with 23 rushing touchdowns, averaging 6.7 offensive yards per play, which is near the top in the country. Uh, I don't think it is the top, but it's near the top. And then a third down percentage of 48.7, which I believe is, again, top 25 in the country, if I'm remembering correctly. And that's down from last year. And that's like 2% down from last year. Uh, I would say regression to the mean. That is well above the mean. <laughs> Connor, you have the defensive stats. On defense, they're giving up third down conversions 41.3% of the time. Uh, they're allowing 5.8 yards per play and 33.1 points per game. Uh, they have a turnover differential of plus four. They have 24 sacks this season. And the red zone, they're giving up scores 97.3% of the time, which is second to last in the country. Uh, but they do only give up touchdowns 63% of the time, which is, I think, about average. It's roughly there. Uh, but the scoring percentage in the red zone is absolutely ludicrous. I mean, that's abhorrent. <laughs> uh, that, it kind of is the epitome of Ben don't break. 
I guess, in some ways. Although, if you're if you're getting scored on that much, it hardly matters. So, <laughs> yeah, especially when you're letting a team get there. But in terms of offense, they're scoring 82% of their drives, 64% of the time scoring touchdowns. So that is all their offensive stats. And before we get into the scouting report, here is a quick word from today's sponsor. And we are back. Thank you all for joining us for the KU Scouting Report. If you are enjoying the episode, please be sure to leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps spread the show around and also makes us feel pretty good. But um, we can just start talking about offensively, and Connor, I apologize, but I, I'm going to vibe with this for a while. Um, it's still the Katalniki offense. It's based on using motion to create defensive confusion and wide-open looks both in the running and the passing game. And it's evolved a bit from last year as well. Last year, if you just didn't follow the motion, you most of the time you'd be perfectly fine because their entire game was misdirection. Uh, now it's a 50-50 proposition, which is terrifying. <laughs> but it was already terrible last year, but you know now it's even worse for defenses. Uh, he still loves his jet seam play that seemingly no one has been able to defend except for Texas Tech last year, like the three times they ran it. I don't know how they didn't defend it that well this year. Maybe they got lucky. Who knows? But in terms of personnel, they run a little bit of everything, but mostly stick to 11 or 12. Uh, the run pass split, perhaps not what you'd expect from a hyper-efficient offense such as this, uh, is 60-40 in favor of the run, and a lot of that is just because of how they use motion to create looks and generate bad angles for linebackers. But speaking of in the running game, they do a lot of zone running that puts the onus on the run, the running back to find a hole. So uh, when you have two really good running backs, it really helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they still have their option game, albeit it's a lot less pronounced than in previous years. I remember uh, the first year of Leipold, their option game was the only offense they really had. Uh, funny how that worked out. But in terms of play action, they run at 37.34% of dropbacks and screens on 10.6% of dropbacks. And like I said earlier, motion is what makes this offense work. I think the stat is we don't subscribe to Sports Info uh, Solutions because we don't have a spare $5,000 lying around. But... It, they motion something like 94% of their offensive snaps. The way that I would describe it is this: it's kind of like this year's Miami Dolphins team, but without the long speed, where they just use motion basically every single snap to create a bunch of bad angles in the running game or to get their receivers up to speed. And Arnold uh, Grimm, they aren't the burners that Hill and Waddle are, but they're it can make you hurt a little bit on those motions, so it's something you have to respect. I've gone on record saying this. I'm not sure, Connor, if you agree with me. I'm, I, I think you do. I think we've had this discussion before. If this offense belonged to anyone but KU, it would probably be one of my favorite offenses in the country. He's shaking his head yes. I, I'm agreeing. <laughs> but, Connor, would you like to talk a little bit about, like, Who's playing quarterback, I guess? Um, well, it probably is not Jalen Daniels. Uh, I think that much we can probably rely on. Because 
there's three guys that I've seen all their names be tossed around. Uh, it's almost certainly not going to be Jalen Daniels. We haven't seen him since early in the year. I think he's probably played his last game for KU, uh, but we don't really know for sure. Um, and then there's Jason Bean, who did go out with a concussion last week and probably shouldn't play, but I bet he does. Plus he was hobbled with his yeah. knee. Yeah, so he's got multiple injuries going right now, but I, I think he's probably going to end up playing uh, the safest bet in terms of not being injured, at least, is Cole Ballard, uh, who is the son of uh, Indianapolis Colts GM Chris Ballard. Uh, Cole Ballard is he's inexperienced. Uh, he's a, I believe, true freshman walk-on, maybe redshirt freshman. I think he's a redshirt freshman. But he's very young, um, and he's not experienced that that's pretty much as far as it needs to go uh he he's not very good oh, yeah, he, that's the best way to put it which uh he's not in a situation i think that you can really hope for much with but he uh um i don't really know what to say about cole ballard i i the he had, there's not a big sample on him what we have seen was largely unimpressive. Um, he can throw the ball to a wide-open receiver. That's facing him. And that that's about the extent of the knowledge that we have about Cole Ballard, other than he doesn't look ready. Yeah. And I, there's really just not much to say about Cole Ballard. I mean, what can you glean from someone who has gained a total of 112 yards throughout the entire season? There's not much to say. Jason Bean, however, uh, at you know, I, if you want the more complete look of Jason Bean, again, go watch the Andy Katelniki video. But in short, he's just pretty good at like everything. There's no one part of his game that I think he's particularly bad at. I think he's probably in the absence of Jalen Daniels, he's probably the best pure scrambling quarterback in the Big 12. Um, or at least that's getting significant snaps or as a full-time starter. I think Avery Johnson has the edge athletically, but he's just not quite, you know, he's not the starter yet. Um, in terms of arm strength, he's calculated and aggressive at the same time. Like he knows when to take calculated risks and... Like, really, the biggest knock on him is he doesn't look past his first or second read before running. But that almost doesn't matter when his first and second read is almost always open. <laughs> but yeah, outside of that, just he's a former North Texas transfer. He's been here for a very long time with Lance Leipold and Andy Katelniki. But, Connor, what do you have about his like more heat map sort of stats? Um, well, like a lot of uh, um, Katelniki's offense, he's going to do most of his work on pretty easy routes. Uh, he's going to get a lot of wide-open stuff between the numbers uh, as close to him as possible, but he's still a very efficient deep passer. He hasn't thrown an interception going deep this year, uh, and he, he's had a, a plethora of attempts. Uh, going deep 34 times he's thrown deep and he's got five touchdowns to zero interceptions there uh, and eight big time throws 
uh, going downfield. But he uh, is a, a surprisingly good passer, especially given where he started. Uh, but um, again, a lot of it is uh, sometimes he makes really impressive throws, but a lot of the time he is just throwing to wide open guys. Um, and a lot of that comes back to scheming, and that's not a knock on him. Uh, that just means that he's in a really quarterback-friendly system that caters to his strengths, uh, which he, he can put the ball where it needs to be, and he, he's got pretty good placement for the most part. He, he's not going to miss many throws, or at the very least not bad enough to result in a turnover, but he has thrown interceptions this year. He's thrown four, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, again, primarily where he wants to work is over the middle, uh, and uh, he'll do that short and intermediate and deep. Uh, every depth of the field over the middle is by far the uh, uh, most targeted area for him. Uh, they're not often getting to the outside uh, because a lot of times you're asking your, uh, especially in the short and intermediate game, you're asking your receivers to just out-athlete people, just be better. And a lot of times they aren't able to do that. So a lot of it just has to be working back over the middle and uh, scheming up your routes in such a way that you're able to get guys effectively wide open. Yeah. And I will say that the biggest knock on Jason Bean is, you know how we always say that Christian Duffy has Duffy moments? Jason Bean has Jason Bean moments where brain go off, no think, no thoughts, head empty, and he just does not make the proper decision. And you could say that with just about any college quarterback, just like in the same way that you could say it with any college right tackle. However, very similar <laughs> to Christian Duffy, when he does have those moments, it is very noticeable and also very funny, which is the explanation for the last play up against the Arkansas uh, up against Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. <laughs> uh, I'll stop laughing about it when it stops being funny. But I would operate under the assumption that Jason Bean is probably the starting quarterback, uh, regardless of the fact that Lance Leipold said today that, or at least day of recording, that they plan on going forth with Cole Ballard. I don't believe him. (laughs) Um, And this is against what I think is probably best for Jason Bean, because I think his egg is probably still a little scrambled, and I don't think his knee is fully recovered. But I'm not the coach of the Kansas Jayhawks, so... You know, you just take the hands of your dealt. I just hope it doesn't get him hurt. But, Connor, would you? which of the running backs would, would you care to take? Um, I'll take Devin Neal. Uh, he's the first one. Um, but, I mean, he's the main back uh, for KU, and he has been now for a little bit. And he's really, really good. Uh, there's a reason that he was a four-star out of high school, and there's a reason that K-State really wanted him. Uh, yeah, he's a fantastic running back uh, in a conference filled to the brim with fantastic running backs. The only thing he doesn't really excel at is pass blocking, uh, but he's just such a weapon in the open field. Uh, he has really good speed, uh, great acceleration as well, and he makes really good cuts as well. Uh, he has great vision now, too. He's added that to his game, uh, and he's 
doing a better job this year of taking what the defense gives him rather than trying to always create the big play at the uh, possible cost of uh, creating a negative play. Uh, he's uh, still finding ways, though, to uh, get that big play uh, just in different ways, though. He's, he's kind of shifted that to be... Uh, more of a patience than an over-aggressiveness thing, and that's working really well for him uh, this year. Uh, He's probably still only the third or fourth best running back that we've seen this year. That doesn't... I think that just says a lot about the quality of running backs that K-State's had to face, though, because uh, he's a uh, still really, really, really talented running back. I mean, I, I think Ollie Gordon's probably first. Jonathan Brooks, Brooks is probably second. I think Devin Neal is fighting for third with uh, Kamani Vidal from Troy, uh, which, yes, we ended up facing. But, yeah, it seems like such a long time ago. Uh, to the people who, to the two people listening to this that will bring up Cody Schrader, shut up. But, <laughs> yes, I know he just set an SEC record. Shut up. But... Um, I guess you do you want to talk about his rushing directions or do you think that just more follows you think you could just sum it up with like a couple words I mean he's um emblematic of what KU wants to do in the run game and uh that's get guys in space and that's why they're uh, giving him so much stuff um off the ends they're giving him a lot of outside zones uh he has 44 attempts off the left end of the line and 33 attempts off the right end of the line and then a very big gap before you get to the next uh, area. He's doing a significant majority of his running uh, to the outsides. And he's doing really, really well. He's averaging 9.3 yards per attempt off the left end and 7.4 off the right end. Uh, He's got seven touchdowns rushing off of the left end. That's seven of his 10 on the entire year. Uh, he's just doing really, really well getting to the outside because that's what KU's offense does best is get guys in open space and require the defense to make good plays in space. Uh, You want to put the defense in as uncomfortable position as possible, and KU's really good at doing that, uh, making it to where if one guy misses, it's going to be a huge chunk play or a touchdown. Yeah, one dude misses, you're in for a world of hurt. And that's especially true with Devin Neal. But that's not to discount his uh, his running mate in Daniel Highshaw, who I believe was... No, he was not. Was he? No, that's Kai Thomas. <laughs> I was about to say, I believe he's a Minnesota transfer. He's not. Or at least I don't think he is. I don't think he is either. But he is the more bruising mentality back of the two. They're about the same size. Daniel Highshaw is an inch shorter and 10 pounds heavier, but he's very much a complementary back to what Devin Neal wants to do. Uh, you look at his stat line, it may look slightly less impressive, uh, whereas you know he's still averaging both sides to the edge, and he's just not getting as many yards per attempt on it, but he's also getting pretty good amount of the carries up the middle, and he's generating a lot of uh, missed tackles forced. He has 41 on the year. I believe Devin Neal had 54 on a similar amount of carries. But it's just Daniel Highshaw, it's not that he's a pure power back. It's not that he uh, he has no moves and he's slow. But 
Uh, he has some pretty decent wiggle to his game. It's just that he has the power to complement it. And it's he's just better suited as that RB2 because his skill set is that bruising style with the occasional home run, which is the inverse of Devin Neal's style, which is the home run hitter with the ability to bruise more safeties. I guess the distinction I would make is Daniel Hyshaw is the guy you want trucking linebackers, and Devin Neal is the guy that you want trucking safeties. I think that's probably the best way to describe Daniel Hyshaw, but they're both really good backs. Obviously, Devin Neal is better, but Daniel Hyshaw is someone that you have to account for both in the receiving and the running games. But that leads us into their wide receiver room, start, which consists mostly of the top three of Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner, number zero, and then Luke Grimm. Lawrence Arnold is number two. Um, yeah, Lawrence Arnold, like we said last year, they returned basically all of their receiving production from last year. In fact, I think they may have lost, I think, a couple hundred yards from last year. So... Would you like to cover, which receivers would you like to cover, keeping in mind that you are passionate about one of the players in the next session as well? Um, I'll take Skinner. Okay, you'll take Skinner. That leaves me with Lawrence Arnold, number two. Uh, 6'3", 200 pounds. He's graded out pretty well throughout the entirety of the year. 74.7 grade, 73.4 in the passing game. His biggest thing is he's just a genuinely good separator with a bit more contested catchability than some may initially give him credit for. A lot of times, I'm just going to say this right out the gate, a lot of the times it looks like these receivers are kind of interchangeable because they have a lot of the same, the same skill set, the same general skill set, but they each do one thing that separates them from the rest of the receiving core and kind of makes them their own unique identity. Lawrence Arnold is his ability to separate. And he's just really consistent at that. Uh, as you can see, <laughs> he's especially good over the middle in in-breakers. He grades out to, if you're looking purely at deep center, 97.4, 97.1 intermediate, and then 78 short center. And he's getting the vast majority of his targets there. And in the deep center, he's averaging 11.21 yards per route run, uh, which, by the way, ridiculous uh, I think average is normally like four or five depending on where you're at in the field um, and he's also got pretty consistent pair of hands he only has two drops on the year and a lot of that is just his ability to create separation he does have five contested catches on the year but that's not he does he puts himself in a situation where he doesn't need to make a lot of those contested catches and I feel like this is the one area where KU has been weirdly good, uh, even in their really, really bad teams, was they always found some way to have good receivers. I'm thinking of people like Andrew Parchment, uh, Steven Sims. But Lawrence Arnold is just another example of a really consistent and good receiver who has the ability to separate at a really consistent and, frankly, annoying level for someone who's 6'3". <laughs> but... Connor, you said you wanted Quentin Skinner, and I'll say that you probably picked the the more the most interesting of them. 
Yeah, that, that's precisely why I chose him. He he's kind of a weird archetype as a receiver because he's six foot five, but he's only one hundred and ninety five pounds. Yeah. Uh, but of despite that, he's still classified as the deep threat, uh, likely. Uh, and he's got incredible, like fantastic speed. Uh, he's a very odd receiver in terms of his archetype. Uh, he doesn't have a single target behind the line of scrimmage this year. Um, most of his targets are um, going to be deep or in the middle of the field uh, within 20 yards. Uh, he's got a pretty notable chunk of his targets going deep. He's been targeted 13 times uh, deep this year and has been really effective uh, with that. He has six receptions for two touchdowns uh, going deep. Uh, that's where a big chunk of his yards comes from. Intermediate center, he, like a lot of KU receivers, is going to get a lot of work there. Uh, he's only got one drop on the year. Um, and then he's also he's not the best route runner in the world, but he has a really good understanding of how to use his speed against uh, defenders. And uh, his releases still aren't uh, incredible, uh, but that's also why he's used emotion so often. You know, it, it doesn't matter if he can't release; he's getting a head start, so he doesn't have to worry about getting an additional release. He's just so effective uh, in in that regard. Uh, he um, has made uh, a, he's got a lot of yak on the year, a lot of uh, yards after catch. Um, he's just re- he's quietly a very good receiver he's somebody that i did not think much of in the past uh just because i thought he was kind of a strange uh archetype for a receiver because he's tall but he's not really big and he but he just kind of makes it work he's a long strider that is just able to work down the field deep and of the ku wide receivers really out athlete people uh they're He's a really interesting guy, and he's someone that's going to be really tough to cover effectively uh, for K-State. It's uh, something that makes KU's receiver room difficult is um, the height, uh, because Lawrence Arnold is 6'3 as well. So that that makes them difficult altogether, but Skinner is a whole different animal in that regard. Yeah. So now we can talk about Luke Grimm, who's the smallest of the receivers at 6'190". Uh, you guys remember Miles Price, the really annoying, uh, annoying Texas Tech receiver who's just always open for no reason. Yep, that's Luke Grimm. <laughs> it it seems like almost every single team that we faced since Texas Tech has had one. Uh, congratulations, Luke Grimm. You are the the re- recipient of the annoying receiver of the week award. But he just grades out really well because he does everything right. I don't think he does anything exceptionally, but he does everything right. And that explains his target share of being just about everywhere, though, of course, uh, short center is his bread and butter. And he's got a total of seven contested catches on the year. Uh, He's not getting great yards per route run, averaging somewhere between three, four. But he's also just not dropped a pass this year, which, again, part of being annoying is you don't make mistakes. So he's just the model of consistency here. And that's all I really got to say about him. So now we can move on to the tight end room, uh, tight end slash fullback room. All right, so I think you and I are 
passionate about we're each passionate about one of these players each and am I correct to assume that you are the more passionate about Jared Casey that is my phone uh yeah yeah I think you could say that I I think that you could probably say that so you go ahead and take Fairchild here alright so uh, Mason Fairchild I am not exaggerating when I say he is probably the most overrated part of the offense and he was the most overrated part of the offense last year and I remember getting, I remember getting a, a, a couple of, you know, questions about that last year. Um, nothing's changed. <laughs> He's still probably the most overrated part of the offense, and there's a distinct reason that, despite his production, he is still not getting rated very highly in any form of NFL draft boards, uh, and that is because. He's a fine athlete with all right speed, all right size, 6'4", 260, but he just does not create separation on his own. He can't do it. He's not capable of generating separation on his own. He has a solid enough pair of hands, but he's schemed open so often that it doesn't matter. Like he, oh, his content, oh, he has a total of five contested catches on the year. I don't think he does. I think you're lying to me. But, like... He is the primary beneficiary of that jet seam play where he is always wide open and he will always be wide open. He doesn't have to do any of the work himself. He is simply schemed open and is told, run forward, dear son. That's Mason Fairchild. And the frustrating thing is he's still probably going to get about 60 to 70 yards up against K-State because that's how good Andy Katelniki is. But I don't even think this is the most convincing argument for why Andy Katelniki is one of the best offensive coordinators in the country, because that honor belongs to Jared Casey. <laughs> Jared Casey has no business being on a Power 5 football field in the year 2023, but Andy Katelniki just wants to remind people that he is that good at getting people open, because there's no reason that Jared Casey should ever be open ever he's not very good he's just mediocre he at best but he's always open and that's entirely because of scheme he is some he benefits in the same way as mason fairchild uh from uh, those seam plays and finds himself getting wide open uh, quite often not because of his own abilities but because of offensive scheming and that is what makes KU's tight end room just so frustrating is because they have guys that aren't really creating separation on their own uh, but are always schemed to be wide open and uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, but he's always open it seems like on the same play everybody falls for it the exact same play and he is always, always open on the seam ball off of motion. And he just finds himself with nobody around him all the time. And it's inexplicable how it happens every single time. But he's always open. He's always open. Jerry Casey will always be open. And there's no reason for it. He is a bowling <laughs> ball. He is, he's like if Jax Deneen transferred to KU but was like four inches taller. And that's really, I I think that's the best comp for him. Uh, would be 
it's, this is like if Jackson was perpetually open. You know, the there's no reason for it, but it's an offensive coordinator showing off just how good they are. Yeah. Now we can talk about their offensive line. It's giving up pressure on 30.4% of their snaps. Starting off with uh, Dominic Pooney. Uh, he's a Trent, number 67. He's a transplant to left tackle after playing a lot of guard last year. I can't tell you why they did that. I really can't because his athleticism barely worked at guard. I mean, he's laterally a fine enough mover, but he just doesn't have the necessary balance. He's just really easy to knock off of his frame and take him for a ride if you hit him like within like a half second of the snap. Like, if you are quick off the snap, you're going to knock him off balance. And at that point, he's just in your way more than he is anything else. And and his high grades, I think, are mostly on PFF. He has a 90.3 pass block grade. I guarantee a lot of that is just how the Katelniki offense works. Uh, and that is the truth for a lot of these offensive linemen. They are very much beneficiaries of how this offense works. I'm not going to really hold that against them. Because I think it's ridiculous to hold offensive linemen like, oh, you're bad because your coach is helping you out. Uh huh. <laughs> like, there are very few players, even in the NFL, that can survive on their own without coach's help. But, yeah, he just he knocks himself off balance really quickly. But if you let him gather himself, he's a perfectly serviceable left tackle. Uh, then their left guard, Armaj Reed Adams, 6'5, 330. He's the weak link of them, but I even then I would just describe him as functional. Uh, and he's the one that seems like every single year KU has one. Uh, he just leaves his other linemen out to dry, uh, which, again, that just kind of sucks for those that are around him. And then the last one I'll cover is uh, Mike Nowitzki, number 50, uh, seemingly been playing college football since the mid-1930s. Uh, he was actually in some of those leather helmet videos that KU fans really like, despite the fact that he was at Buffalo. But he's... I don't understand how he was the preseason All-Big 12 pick at center. I guess the Big 12 isn't necessarily spoiled for riches at the position, and it's better to have like a consistently okay option in Mike Nowitzki. He just doesn't have good strength, and that showed against Texas when he had a 12 pass block grade. Which, for reference, I think Hayden Gillum's was like 30. Um, he just doesn't do anything remarkably well that you'd expect from a high pedigree as an all-Big 12 pick. But his best trait is just communication and telling offensive linemen, hey, I have this guy, you pick up this guy, you know, so on and so forth. He's good at calling protections. He's a good communicator. He's serviceable in the running game. He's just not special. <laughs> He's just not particularly special. But, Connor, you have the right side of the line, or if this is to believe, the left side for one or two games a year. Yeah, so we have Michael Ford Jr. here, number 54. He's 6'3", 305 pounds. Uh, his functional strength in the running game is not fantastic. Uh, and, and even on zone plays, uh, he um, can get punched back fairly, uh, fairly easily. Uh, and he also has an issue of waiting for plays to come to him in the running game. Uh, so he definitely has a lot of run blocking issues. His pass blocking is just fine. Uh, but run blocking, he's uh, not the best uh, whatsoever. And he's another Buffalo transfer uh, that Leipold uh, brought with him when he moved to KU. 
Uh, and then the last guy you have is Bryce Cable Dew, number 77. Uh, he's a younger, I think he's a little younger. Uh, actually, no, he's not. He's a little older than I thought he was. Uh, I think I'm thinking of Livingston, uh, who was a tackle I liked in one of their recruiting classes. But Cable Dew, he's six foot six, 300 pounds. Uh, he's um, been getting uh, notable snaps at KU since 2020. So he's in his fourth year now, so he's fairly experienced. Uh, but that has not made him a better pass protector to the inside. He, he is pretty awful if you can attack his inside shoulder. Uh, he's uh, probably the one that needs the most help in pass protection, and so he gets a lot of help in uh, pass protection. He's not very good uh, going one-on-one uh, with people, of course, especially to that inside shoulder. Additionally, he suffered some sort of injury against Texas Tech, Seems like he's probably going to play against uh, um, K-State, but we'll see if that hampers him even more than usual. But he's not an awful tackle. He's just not a great one. one. (laughs) I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah, I, I think that's the best way to put it. Now I can move on to their defense. They still run that modified 3-3-5-4-2-5 that we saw from them last year. Uh, it's very similar to what UCF did. Uh, oddly enough, unlike UCF, they don't seem to cover up the center very often in their fronts, which given one of their linebackers and how he plays is, well, a little problematic. But <laughs> just going straight into their players... Uh, you, Connor, you can take the interior guys of DJ Withers, Devin Phillips, and, and we're not going to mention the 30 other people that seemingly come in to exist. Yeah, DJ Withers, uh, he's six foot four, 300 pounds. Uh, this is uh, his first year as a starter, um, but he, he's very tenacious and definitely has a higher motor than a lot of KU defensive linemen that we've seen in the past because for KU's defensive line has been an issue for a long time. Uh, But still, he's not really a forceful presence. He just holds his own, really. He he won't allow himself to be beaten, but he's not often beating people. Uh, But he stays fairly low, and he shoots his hands well. uh, But he doesn't really generate a lot of power while doing so, which is a little strange given his motor. You'd think he'd uh, get a little bit more power and... Uh, but that's just not really something he's particularly great at. PFF uh, sees him as an awful tackler as well, but again, PFF's tackle grades are a little weird, so uh, who's to say if there's really truth to that or not? Uh, But he's uh, mainly known as a run defender. He doesn't have a sack this year, only has seven pressures, um, and hasn't had a pressure since week seven, so that's in fact, three of his pressures came in the very first game against Missouri State. So that's not a major part of his game uh, for uh, Mr. Withers. But then we can move into Devin Phillips. He's 6'2 and 325 pounds, so, and he's a transfer from Colorado State. And uh, if he starts losing a rep, he immediately begins reaching. And uh, the calculus there is really just that if he's losing and he's being beaten by a superior offensive lineman, he at the very least wants to make it look like he's not losing that badly. And I I guess I can understand that to a degree, but it's not exactly sound pass rush strategy, but he's fine. Uh, he's 
um, supposedly taken a bit of a step back since his time at Colorado State uh, because he played a lot in 2021, but in 2022 uh, for Colorado State didn't play as much. And this year he's gotten more snaps, but has not necessarily been more effective. Uh, he only has five pressures on the season. Another defensive lineman for KU that doesn't have a pressure since week seven. So maybe a bit of a common theme there, but he's eh, uh, mostly unremarkable. Uh, Withers is definitely superior. Yeah, Withers is superior, but they don't really have any good interior defensive linemen. They have a bunch of trees. But then you can go into their edge players, which is Jermaine Robinson and Austin Booker, number 90 and number 9, respectively. Uh, starting with Robinson, he just tries to slow play things a bit more than his counterpart in Austin Booker. And he just wants to remain assignment sound. And a part of that is he just plays really, really slowly. <laughs> Um, he just takes the two to diagnose the play and have an actual course of action, which is the exact opposite thing you want in a pass rusher. You want definitive plan, even if that plan happens to be wrong, uh, which we'll talk about that when it's, when it's Austin Booker time. But other than that, he, other than slow playing things, a lot of times his sacks seem like coverage sacks. Although he does have 23 total pressures on the year, 15 hurries, four sacks, four hits. Uh, a lot of that is seemingly just coverage and the fact that occasionally whenever he slow plays, whenever he makes the correct read, he's pretty good. But it's just that second that he takes that doesn't generate that instant, you know, you have to panic uh, every time that you see him on the field lined up to your blind side. And then you have Austin Booker. Uh, Austin Booker reminds me a lot of Nate Matlick. Uh, he's a Minnesota transfer. Uh, he just doesn't understand his physical limitations. And I think that's probably Nate Matlick's big problem. Um, he believes that he's faster than everyone, and he's just not. So he tries to use the I'm faster moves rather than the I'm technically sound moves, which is the Nate Matlick strategy. Although Nate Matlick even recently has started trying to go to the I'm faster than you strategy, when I think the, the winning strategy is... He's more technically sound because, yes, Nate Matlick is more technically sound. But somehow, despite all this, he has 31 pressures and 8 sacks on the year. He's listed as an outside linebacker. So if I were to guess, he's probably just lining up a lot and getting... He's a beneficiary of a lot of uh, games, stunts, getting free run, which makes sense because he is pretty fast. He's just not the I'm faster player that I think he thinks he is. But, Connor, you have the trio a trio of linebackers here in Rich Miller, J.B. Brown, and Taiwan Berryhill. Yeah, Rich Miller, he's been around for a while. Uh, he's 6'1", 230, and he's actually really fast uh, for a linebacker. He Back in 2021, I specifically remember him nearly chasing Deuce Vaughn down from behind on his 80-yard touchdown run. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty impressive for a, a linebacker. Uh, but um, despite that, he's uh, just an all-right linebacker, really. He's mostly unremarkable. Uh, his biggest struggle, though, is if he's not kept clean, he's he gets pretty bad. Uh, if you give him room to operate, though, uh, he will um, generally make tackles with fairly decent consistency. PFF uh, considers him to be a fairly decent tackler, uh, but in space, he's solid enough, 
because he's not dealing with uh, a lot of trash that he has to sift through. He, uh, um, the athleticism definitely lends itself to him being a much better linebacker in space, which linebackers don't always want to be working in space, uh, but he's definitely one of them. Uh, he, he definitely prefers to uh, operate with plenty of room around him because he does have a lot of natural athleticism. And he's another Buffalo transfer as well for this KU defense. He's been around for a while. He's in his fifth year, so he's got plenty of experience. Yeah. That takes us in to J.B. Brown. Uh, he's six foot two, 230 pounds, and uh, he's pretty much just a slightly faster version of Rich Miller, uh, which means that KU is yet another really fast linebacker. Uh, he's been fairly decent this year, getting a lot of pressures uh, for uh, being the Mike backer. Uh, but uh, he's got two sacks as well. Um, and his pressures seem to come in bunches. Uh, he's had a f- uh, four of his last five weeks, uh, or four of his last five games. He's not registered a pressure, but the one where he did was at Iowa State where he got two. So uh, he could potentially be effective there. Uh, and he's fairly de- he grades out fairly decently across the board, uh, and that takes us to the last guy, uh, Taiwan Berryhill. Uh, he's been around at KU since before Lance Leipold uh, arrived. Uh, he was a uh, 2020 uh, was when he first started. Uh, he's six two two thirty. So all these linebackers are around the uh, same size. Uh, so he's in his fourth year. Uh, he's very over aggressive though. Uh, for who he is and what his uh, skill set is. And he often will run himself out of a play uh, for no good reason, really. Uh, But Barry Hill, uh, if nothing else, is fairly experienced. Uh, And while he does grade decently in pass rush this year, some of that is because it's a very small sample size. He only has two pressures on the year, uh, but he's only had seven pass rush reps. Uh, So... Barry Hill, he's solid, he's solid enough, uh, but he um, you could definitely describe him as a little inconsistent, and his snap count also isn't the highest um, for a linebacker, but he's uh, not a uh, main starter, really. Yeah. So now we can get into their corners, which is Kobe Bryant and Mello Dotson. Uh, Kobe Bryant... This is another player I'm passionate about. But uh, remember Trayvon Diggs for Alabama and now playing for the Cowboys? Not this year because I think he's hurt. Uh, It's that play style. He's just fiending for the interception every chance he can get. And if that occasionally means letting the receiver go by him, worse things have happened in this world. Uh, He grades out pretty well in terms of PFF, 72.4 total grade, then 68.9 in coverage. Like I said, he has two uh, picks on the year, two pass breakups. And a lot of that is I think people are beginning to become familiar with his game and the fact that he's just fiending for the interception. So if you just throw it away from him, he's not going to get there. Uh, he's allowing in receptions on 76% of total targets, which, not good, but <laughs> he's he's probably preferring to shade to one side and man coverage because he wants to face the quarterback at all times. He's using zone principles to play man coverage because he is just fiending for the interception. And it, doesn't, it isn't even Justin Gardner syndrome where it's makeup speed. No, 
No, he is intentionally working to user lurk every single play that comes his way. And more and more teams are figuring out that when you face these corners, you just hit them in the blind spot and they're screwed. Congratulations, Kobe Bryant. You have once again found yourself in the camp of work the blind spot and you're screwed. You can take your seat right next to the Texas corners, which we figure that out during the game. Still upset that we didn't do it before. That's not the point. But Kobe Bryant, really good interception corner, really good corner at baiting bad throws. But a part of that is he's going to give up receptions. Then you have his counterpart in Melo Dotson, who's the more consistent of the two. I, PFF agrees with me. I would have said it without that. Uh, KU fans don't seem to like this information. But Melo Dotson has been a consistently solid corner. He grades out pretty well. Uh, he's pretty easy to bait into flipping his hips or giving up leverage, but he's just not someone that you're going to beat very consistently vertic vertically. And a lot of his game is based on familiarity. If you s throw the same look at him, He's going to get really, really good really, really quick because he's going to adjust to that look extremely quickly. And he's only uh, he has three picks on the year, seven pass breakups, a reception percentage of 59.3. So yes, he is objectively the better corner, but <laughs> it Melo Dotson's game is if you throw the same look at him, you're not going to be able to do it because he's going to learn. He's just a very heady corner, and he has the athleticism to back it up. So that's the rant about the corners. Connor, you have the two safeties. Technically, there's a, technically one's a linebacker. Technically, they're running like a 4-3. It's one of those really stupid Brent Venables schemes that only Brent Venables can make work. But... Anyway, Kenny Logan. Yeah, Kenny Logan, he has been a KU for a while. Uh, he, he is the uh, epitome <laughs> of experience and consistency. Uh, he's probably, uh, if I had to pick a favorite KU player, it's, it's without a doubt Kenny Logan, I think, because he's been here uh, since well before uh, Lance Leipold guy here. I remember him uh, playing a bit back in 2019, but he's been playing uh starter snap since 2020 and he's been very consistent and has been the best player on KU's defense for probably four years in a row now and does not get talked about enough I don't think he is their best player uh the only reason that his grades are low is because he ends up getting involved in almost every play because he just has such a nose for the ball. He doesn't always make the play uh, as his thing. Uh, but the fact that he's always involved, that lends itself to him being uh, one of the best players for KU. He's got a pick this year as well. Uh, he's uh, forced to fumble. Uh, he doesn't have a super high missed tackle rate. Um, his reception rate um, isn't fantastic, but he is a safety, uh, so there is that. But... Uh, his biggest flaw, though, is when he gets left alone in coverage, uh, he's not the best, but he's a free safety, so it's not like that should be happening a lot. Uh, he's just a really, really good safety. He's a, a really good athlete, and there's a lot to like about Kenny Logan. He's a safety that I would not mind at all having on K-State. Uh, he's a really good player, and uh, he's definitely one of the people to 
keep your eyes on on a Saturday. Yeah. And then that brings us to Craig Young. Uh, he's 6'3", 225 pounds, uh, which is huge for a uh, safety, it feels like. In quotations, safety. Yeah. Because <clears throat> uh, he uh, switched from corner to playing a lot more safety <clears throat> this year. Uh, he's uh, the Hawk linebacker, allegedly, is uh, what he's called. Uh, he's kind of like Will Jones uh, for K-State, uh, but um, he might... Wayne Jones? Wayne Jones, not Will Jones. Wayne, Wayne Jones. Uh, Wayne Jones, where there's a lot of small things he can do decently, but he just isn't really able to find a consistent position uh, to really call home. Uh, he's a uh, Ohio State transfer as well. I kind of forgot about that. Played outside corner mm-hmm. last year. Yeah, yeah played outside corner. Uh, but yeah, this year... Uh, listed as a safety, he's played some slot corners because he's their whatever linebacker. Uh, and in coverage, he's all right, uh, but his uh, size makes him a middling tackler um, as a sort of hybrid guy. Uh, he's um, His reception percentage in coverage, though, is fairly decent. It's uh, 64%. Uh, he um, has three pass breakups on the season as well. Uh, he's been targeted 36 times uh, throughout the year, uh, giving a 12.2 yards per reception. All, all in all, he's a fairly decent uh, safety. And he's got decent experience as well. He played a ton last year, 834 snaps last year. So he's got plenty of experience uh, as well. And he's a, an older guy. This is a very This is a much older defense for KU than they've had in quite some time. Uh, which I think they have a lot of guys either running out of eligibility or getting very close to that point. Uh, so this is one of the mo- this is probably one of the most experienced defenses that they've had uh, at KU in years. Uh, but it's still not quite coming together for this group, and um, just because I think there's a lot of uh, like mismatched pieces yeah. on this defense. Uh, guys that in, va- in a vacuum are decent, but don't necessarily work for the scheme they want to run, or maybe the lack thereof. Yeah, that's that's putting it kindly. But now we can go into stories to watch going into the game, and first and foremost, to me at least, is which team comes out firing, and can that team sustain the the assault, for want of better term? Well, I do think both teams are going to come out firing. I think KU is going to start the game hot and I think one of the reasons they lost to Texas Tech was because I I do think that they were prepping for this game uh, I, I think that they were almost certainly overlooking Texas Tech uh, a decent amount because they wanted to prepare for this game against K-State because I, I think Leipold understands the importance of it and how it can be a paradigm shifting game uh, for the for KU's football program, so I think they come out firing, but I don't know if they can sustain it because I'm I'm really not convinced that Jason Bean's healthy, uh, and if Cole Ballard ends up being the guy, he definitely won't be able to sustain an offensive attack. I don't think, at least not consistently. Uh, there's a lot that Katelmiki can do to mitigate some of the issues, uh, but I I question him being able to do that perfectly and on every drive yep i i agree i i think 
both sides come out firing, I think whoever gets the ball first, I, I almost certainly think that both opening drives result in scores of some kind. But I, I think the K-State, in terms of true depth, has better chances. Um, especially because, you know, K-State's uh, defensive line and, you know, outside corners, they have more than their one line. I think a lot of KU's defense, which already isn't very good, is very top-heavy. So I think that I think it's going to come down to a lot of depth, and I think K-State has considerably more depth than KU has. Yeah, so next um, story to watch, can K-State prevent this game from turning into a track meet? Well, I'll tell you that if it turns into a track meet and Jason Bean is the quarterback, that is how we lose. Uh, I can tell you that that is the pretty much the only way that we lose this game is if it turns into a track meet, and that's not the most unrealistic outcome. <laughs> but I think that K-State's defense, especially with how they've clamped on the run, in, against offensive lines that they're not totally overmatched against, and even some offensive lines that they were probably a little bit overmatched against, they were still really good against the run. And this is a team that wants to run it 60% of the time with Jason Bean. And again, we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. But I, I think that the K-State defense is more than capable of preventing this game from turning into you know a first-to-40 affair. Yeah. I think that's kind of where I sit. Uh, I I think the only way this goes well in a track meet for K-State is if they're the one that's starting it. And I I think that K-State, oddly enough, does have an offense this year that could keep up, at least for a bit, especially given KU's quality of defense compared to ours. Uh, But I'd still rather just not get into that situation uh, because... Uh, a track meet with KU, uh, their offense is dynamic enough to where they could really blow it open at any time, and I'd just rather not deal with that. Yeah, so. I wouldn't either. Uh, we talked about this third one. But uh, how does Klanerman opt to deal with the motion Andy Katelniki will throw at him? Um, that's the thing is last year it was an easy answer. The answer was ignore it. Yeah. But this year you can't do it perfectly. Um, I, I think probably he's going to have to tone back on the aggressiveness a little bit because I don't think that... Because uh, KU could really easily burn uh, K-State for getting overly aggressive and for uh, you know going on an all-out blitz too often. Uh, he'll have to be very, very uh, particular with when he decides to uh, go with something like that. I am not 100% sure what you do schematically, to deal with it, uh, potentially run some more zone, but I I'm not really sure uh, really what the best option is. In all honesty, there isn't really one. <laughs> um, the The best answer is to get pressure rushing four, and then just trusting your guys to be assignment sound and not blow an assignment. So I think that like, the communication is just going to have to be on point for the entire week for for K-State. I think it's just going to come down to communication, really. Then that takes us to the last story to watch. Uh, KU has one of the worst defenses this year in all of college football, so how 
Does K-State capitalize on that? Run it through their face. Because their interior defensive line is really bad. They have linebackers that are really bad in dealing with linemen and working through trash. Uh, this is... I'm not... This isn't a joke. This isn't a bit. This is a game that if we ran the ball like 30, 40 times or like for 70% of our offensive snaps, I genuinely think that is a winning formula <laughs> because they're really bad in run defense uh, just because they don't have the bodies for it. But I, I think that's probably, I think a heavy dosage of the running game is probably the best way to capitalize. And it's not because I don't think we can, we can throw against them because I think we can. But I think the most efficient way to do it would be run the ball, limit the amount of times their offense can touch the ball, and just run it down their throat. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe the most important. Or the most important thing you said was uh, with running the ball, it keeps the ball out of KU's hands. And I think you're absolutely right with that. We need to limit the possessions that KU has because um, quick strike offense would be super fun. Um, against them, but the more chances you give uh, to KU, they're going to take advantage of those chances uh, at a higher clip than most teams because uh, they're uh, one of the most efficient offenses in the country and flat out one of the best offenses in the country. And so much of that comes back to scheming. And uh, the more opportunities Katelniki has to scheme uh, individual drives, uh, the better that offense is going to get. So that's just not something that we want to deal with so funnily enough we will probably want to try and slow the pace to a certain degree but i also think there's maybe considerations to you know their defense if they play the way that they've played all season long then we may not have much of a choice in drives not lasting very long (laughs) there there's that to weigh but and i i do think that we still see a lot of offense from k-state in this game yep leads us into our projected offensive and defensive MVPs. I picked DJ Giddens and Kobe Savage. I also went with DJ Giddens, and I went with Austin Moore defensively. Yeah. So, like we said earlier, uh, the way that KU wins this game is if they turn it into a track meet. I have a lot of faith in this defense to let that not happen. However, I am also a big believer in Andy Katalniki. (laughs) Go watch the video. (laughs) But... I still think that KU's defense is bad enough to where K-State can pretty comfortably pull away towards the back end of the game because I think KU's defense is just going to run out of gas. I have Cats winning 45-28. to 28. I have K-State winning 51-24, to 24, and a lot of that comes back to KU's defense. Uh, the offense is excellent, but the defense is just not good. Um, and it's not gotten any better, really, since Leipold has arrived, at least functionally. It's not really much better at all. Uh, I think the stats say they've gotten marginally better, but it's not enough to really make a difference. So K-State's offense should, if we treat this game the way that we should treat it, which is very seriously, should have no issue moving the ball. Yep. So, yeah, this is one of the most consequential Sunflower Showdowns in a quite a long time. Uh, I have a feeling that if we get to talk about the, however the Big 12 tiebreakers break out on the weekly recap, if we have to mention it at all, we will be very unhappy campers. But do you have any final thoughts going into this game? 
Um, this is probably KU's best shot at winning in a while. Uh, but I, I, I'm still not quite worried yet just because of how in flux the quarterback situation is. Um, but I, I do have a lot of faith in the staff to make sure the players are ready for this game. That's one thing that Bill Snyder always did a fantastic job with was um, making sure that we were prepared for the uh, KU game. And I, I think that that's uh, continued with Chris Kleiman. And hopefully everybody's ready because I think we're going to be seeing a lot of trickeration. I think we're going to be seeing uh, a lot of looks that KU hasn't shown all year. And I think we're going to be seeing um, enhanced preparation because I think KU's been spending a while on this one. So we're going to have to be ready for the whole kitchen sink. Yep. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggie Bow Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville Cats. If you want to email the show, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us more personally, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. Link in our podcast and Twitter bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>